What's next? This is a question we're all having to ask and answer more frequently. I'm Jenny Blake, your host of the Pivot Podcast and author of Pivot, The Only Move That Matters is Your Next One. For show notes from this episode, visit pivotmethod.com slash podcast. If change is the only constant, then let's get better at it. Here we go. Welcome back, everybody. I am so thrilled to be here with my friend, Chris Littlefield. Chris is an amazing guy. I think you'll enjoy our serendipity small world story about how we met. And it was funny recording in the time of COVID. Before we hit record, I said, sorry in advance for the construction in the background. And he said, you know, a four-year-old might pop in at any time. And that's life these days. Chris is an international TEDx speaker, Harvard Business Review Ascend contributor, and the founder of Beyond Thank You. He's an expert in employee appreciation, recognition, and workplace culture, and was recently dubbed the Camp Counselor for Corporate America. (laughs) Chris is an awesome guy, and in... In a very short amount of time, I want to say 60 days, Chris. Yes, in under 60 days, he wrote and published his new book, 75 Plus Team Building Activities for Remote Teams, Simple Ways to Build Trust, Strengthen Communication, and Laugh Together from Afar. Chris in Chile, welcome to the show. Good good to be here, Jenny. And and yes, that's just what life looks like right now. I mean, like we may have a four-year-old bust in behind me right now. I have... Um, a pair of fairy wings that I made out of shish kebab sticks and the wrapper from a flower, uh, a bouquet of flowers from the grocery store. It's just, this is what my office looks like. And this is what life looks like right now. Right? Oh, I feel like we should be on video so I can see these homemade angel wings. <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a picture afterwards. How long have you been living in Chile now? We have been in Chile for six years. Actually, you know what? Six years this month. Um, and we have been in lockdown in quarantine for the last three months of it, uh, been completely locked in our house. And so I've been here for six years. And then before that, you know, we had the, the connection with Lebanon. I was in Lebanon for four years before that. So I've been actually living and working remotely for the last 10 years because I married a, uh, I married a woman who works for the United Nations and we've been living around the world since, even though I'm from Maine originally. You know, as we say that, I'm drinking from a mug from my friend Bethany's podcast called Working Wife, Happy Life. (laughs) So I always appreciate when Michael drinks from this mug. That's the name of her podcast. I did a really fun interview with her for it. And it just reminds me, Working Wife, Happy Life, like your working wife has taken you around the world. And... And and you're an international speaker as well. So it's it's cool to see how you have also used that as an opportunity to expand your perspective. I love, you know, there's so much talk in the States right now and globally about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yep. And you bring yep. such an important cultural inclusion perspective, whether it's something from respecting or even scheduling meetings and employees' time zones across the world to... <laughs> The culture questions that you included in your book, which I'll come back to, those are so good. So much of it is really, it's just people just want to be understood and seen for who they are, right? And we often get stuck on those stereotypes of people of what I perceive someone to be like or what we think they're going to be like. And, you know, when you've traveled or when you've been around the world, so many of those perceptions just get shattered because here you are. It's like, you know, I think you're just starting to talk about Lebanon, but it's like landing on the ground with all these perceptions of what the Middle East is going to be like and then having those shattered in your first five minutes of being there. 
So. Well, you and I had a funny connection. We were introduced, of course, by who else? Dory Clark, the one and only, the one and only greatest connector I think I've ever met. Exactly. And exactly. she was trying to connect us to get me a ticket to a conference that was happening in London. You were in Chile and we went back and forth over email. And then it was a couple weeks later we met. I spoke at her RexCon event here in New York City. You and I happened to sit next to each other and you spotted my necklace, which is really funny. Do you want to share the second half of that story? Yeah, so, yes, it's funny. So I think we had gone back and forth. And, and I remember when she's like, Jenny, like, I'm like, I've seen this name before. Who is this? I'm like, oh, that book, Pivot, the blue one. Right. I bought it from my wife. And then we had gone back and forth. And I said, hey, I'm not going to be able to attend this event because there's a revolution going on down here. And you're like, oh, well, I'm married to this Lebanese guy and there's a revolution going on in Lebanon. So I get it. And then I don't think we interacted much after that. And then I showed up at this event and there was like this standard Lebanese Arabic, your name and Arabic necklace. And I was like, I've seen that. And I saw those every day. People had these beautiful necklaces. My wife has one. I'm like, Arabic. And you're like, yeah, my husband's Lebanese. I'm like, you're Jenny Blake. And we have been going back and forth. <laughs> so and then funny. I think I sat down and then we spent the whole day sitting, chatting about Lebanon, the craziness of it, the beauty of it, and just Lebanese culture and all that. And it's just a cool, uh, cool way to meet. When you had lived in a specific neighborhood of Beirut in Lebanon, where my husband grew up. Exactly. So it was even triangulated know, down to this tiny neighborhood of Ashrafi. Exactly. And the craziness of it. And, and for me too, it's like that country. So whenever I meet somebody who's been there, who's lived there from that culture, like Lebanon is, a, is probably the one place I've lived outside of like my home where I felt this like deep emotional connection to the country and the people because it's just so insane in all the good ways and in all the bad ways as well. But it's like, I always, I always joke and explain Lebanon as like this abusive relationship because it's like you absolutely love it and absolutely hate it at the same time while you're there, but it's just, you can't stay away. I was just back in January to do some work with the UN there and like landed on the ground right as the, the revolution kicked back up and I land there and they're burning tires in the street. And I'm like, Welcome to Lebanon. <laughs> right. It's pretty sad what's going on there with the hyperinflation, what's the corruption, oh the hunger issues and extreme hunger. Yeah. I mean, oof, I don't know. I wish there was a solution, honestly. I wish and even foreign aid, they're they're hesitating to give foreign aid, which Lebanon desperately needs, because the leaders are corrupt, which is what the people have been protesting about since the fall. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you know how it started, but they were trying to tax WhatsApp. And the people were just yeah. like, 25 F you. <laughs> yeah, which they got rage oh because their God. phone bills, cell phone bills are already over $150 a month. And with yeah. electricity cutting every night, I mean, okay, so we won't go on the Lebanon tirade. Yeah. I just no, feel I, I for mean, that I, country. I could, I could it's such a beautiful place with such beautiful people. Yeah. And I, yeah. It is. You have a couple people that are, you know, like anywhere. It's like whenever you see a problem that persists that could be resolved, there's always somebody who benefits from keeping it going, right? And that's the thing that was so apparent to me. And I, I think it's also for organizations, like if we keep on having this problem, 
over and over and over again, who benefits from keeping it going? And, and in that country, you know, it's always, you know, with the electricity, they could have had 24 electricity a long time ago, but there's people who make money off of generators. And so they block, you know, power plants coming in and things like that. And it's, it's just sad because you have the most beautiful piece of land that I've ever seen. I mean, if you've gone up to Bishade and, and up into the mountains, into the cedars, and here you are with snow in the back and people don't even realize you can ski in Lebanon, right? And here you are up on a ski mountain with these huge cedar trees and looking down these valleys out to the Mediterranean, eating this extraordinary food. And then you just have this political mess that keeps this country crippled, which is just absolutely heartbreaking. And that is an interesting and important inquiry for a lot that's broken around the world is who's currently benefiting. And I think a big part of the protests that are happening right now is, at least in in America, and I know they've been echoed elsewhere, and in Chile too, I mean, again, your country's in revolution as well, is that a lot of the problems that exist, exactly as you said, benefits a small group of people who are in power. And them keeping it that way is just comfortable and easy, opposed to doing the work. And as a lot of people are saying right now, sitting in that discomfort of realizing that I may have been part of the problem or I am the problem. I don't think they care. I mean, the problem when you have these incredibly narcissistic, power hungry leaders that rise to the top and then corrupt and benefiting from the power structures is they don't care, you know, if they care, they would have changed it by now. So I I get why these revolutions are required because it's, they're, they're not fixing things of their own accord. No. And people need to make them so uncomfortable that they want to actually consider doing that, or it looks bad enough if they don't do it or they'll get reelected if they don't. Yes. So anyway, sorry, you're going to read something you said. No, I want to, I want to put on the record because these questions are so good. And I know that listeners may be part of, well, everyone is remote right now. I mean, I think with rare exception, maybe essential workers are not remote, but a lot of listeners will be remote and a lot of listeners will be part of or leading teams with global team members. And even if not, if you have a partner, an in-law, a family member who's from another country, these questions from Mr. Chris Littlefield are so good. So I'm going (laughs) to read them. He said, the best way to learn about cultural differences is by taking the time to ask questions. Here are a few to try. What do you wish people in my culture or country understood about working with yours? What are the silly mistakes foreigners often make when visiting or working in your country? If you moved, what would you miss most about your culture or country? If I was going to come and visit, what advice would you give me? And then you say, do your research, be aware of local holidays and cultures, put them in your calendar. Don't assume that people observe those holidays, but don't assume that they don't. And maybe even schedule meetings in your employees or your team members' time zones. So thank you for those questions. I told Michael, I want to record a separate podcast where I just ask him those four questions about (laughs) living and working in Beirut. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, cause you just so many times. And I think those questions come out from just 
just making those assumptions about somebody, you know, I'll, I'll always remember being working in Oman and having this assumption. You see the dish that the people, I think I'm saying it right, that, that people are wearing or seeing someone in a job and having these assumptions about people's cultures. And then I still remember this woman came in and uh, it was at a conference and she was doing a speech and she was, you know, talking to you. It was an American woman and she was a comedian. And this guy literally walked behind the back screen. It was backlit. He took off his dish that like there. So he's in his boxers and then comes out on the stage afterwards in his box on stage. And was like, she's like, I did not expect that to happen. I've never seen that ever happen where someone took their clothes off on stage. And it was hilarious to watch, but it was just this perception of uh, someone being conservative, right? And people tend to be more conservative in the U.S. than in the majority of the world, even though people think that, hey, people are more liberal in the U.S., which tends to not be the case. Can you think of a time where your lack of knowledge about a certain culture and their work practices, like, I don't know, because in all of your travels and all your work with countries around the world, was there a time where you kind of learned this lesson the hard way? <laughs> so I don't even like I'm embarrassed to even share this one, but a, a, a couple of times where I just made some just really, really silly mistakes. So one group one group I was with, and I never sing songs, even though I've worked at camps, everything like that. I was facilitating between a group of folks from Armenia and Azerbaijan. And, you know, part, these are these 10-day retreats, and, you know, we've got 10 people from either side of conflict, and then I've got a co-facilitator from Armenia and a co-facilitator uh, co from Azerbaijan. And so I never sing songs. But the truth was, I was being a little bit, like, feeling a little bit, I'm seeing there was this guy in the group, and he was doing a lot of activities and doing a lot of the work that I was doing. So I feel like I had to do something to, to do my job. And so I start singing this song I had heard at this peace conference in The Hague like, several years before, and it was, I don't know where it was. It was like, and I start singing this song. And half the group is like bobbing their head, and then all the Azerbaijani group are just like, their mouth drops. And, and then they like stop and then everyone busts out laughing. I'm like, what? They're like, Chris, Sikinela or some version of this word was like this really dirty word for like genitalia. And I was like oh, singing no. this and singing it over and over again, like on this thing. And the group was just like this. And I was like, oh my God, I, this is why I never sing. And it was like, I did that. And it was just like. Well, you just do these moments where it was just like absolutely embarrassing. Um, totally. And just, you know, yeah. And that was that way. There was probably my most embarrassing moment in front of a group where I'm sitting here to try to do something to have fun and laugh. And they got a good laugh out of it. And they still remind me of it. Uh, probably now it's been about eight years later. <laughs> I'm laughing. <laughs> and thank you for sharing that because... Oh, I think that's one of the trickiest parts about language learning. And clearly, I mean, you were just oh stopping through. I had two moments like yeah. that. One, first of all, at least my husband and his friends, Arabic has such a, a love of language and flowery terms, even yeah. for very um, and then there's offensive Arabic. things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Lebanese Arabic. Yeah. And so I overhear him a lot. And, and people joke that when you're learning just by observing, you're learning mostly swear words, you know, because that's just how, they, how, yeah. how he's expressing himself. And people in, in America, you would be shocked at the literal translation of these things. But for somehow, they're, they're just kind of normal there. And one time we were out to dinner with his friend. And I don't know, something made me annoyed. And I kind of like exclaimed this Arabic phrase and they both looked at me <laughs> shocked, like, oh, 
women don't say that. Like it was okay that they would say that. And I just didn't know the full meaning. And once they re reiterated the meaning, I was like, oh my God, I'm never saying that again. I don't, that doesn't align with my value system. I'll, I edited the word, the phrase to be, uh, something about menuche, which is a pizza uh -huh. food item. <laughs> Yep. And then the second yeah. super embarrassing thing was I was complimenting a woman's eyes at a worked at a nuts shop and I tried to do it in Arabic and I ended up saying something to her that's like extremely patronizing, like what you'd say to a little kid, like because I'd heard <laughs> Michael say it to to me or like little dogs that he thought were cute or I don't know I misunderstood and they his family laughs at me to this day I don't think they'll ever let me live that story down like what did you say to that woman again or to his mom I even said it like oh. you know and the meaning of the word is like to a little child I thought it meant model like you look like a model no no I was wrong and I had said it to his mom and to someone else so oh, yeah at least got a great laugh out of it but oh, I, I mean, for the first first year I was there, like someone would say, Sabah, and then you respond with Sabah, but I would say, I would say, like, I would say the same thing back. So they'd say, Good morning. And I'd say, like, I, I don't even remember I respond, but I always said the wrong thing, like, back for like a year and nobody corrected me. And then someone finally had the courtesy, oh, like, no. not actually this. And then I just gave up. I was like, I'm not even going to try. Because I, I think one of the things that I've always done over the years is like traveling all these different places. I just kind of always came from the place of be kind and ask lots of questions, right? And spend your time learning opposed to trying that. to be right or trying to say the right thing. Because I think anytime you try to do that, you usually fall on your face some way, right? And it's like, hey, I'm going to try. Is this the right thing to say? Did I say the right thing there? And like trying to say a few words and then going back to just asking a lot of questions. And it's always the safe way to go. I love that. Be kind and ask lots of questions. That could be our mantra for the rest of the world as well. I, th I think so. I think so. And spending time because it's, you know, one thing that's, that's happening so much now. I watched an extremely interesting interaction unfold on, on LinkedIn the other day with this, this woman that I, I've met a few times before. She's an organizational consultant and she put some huge thing up complaining about the book around white fragility and everything like that. And she made this like really political statement about it. And I hate this book and this woman's a racist and everything like that. And then this, you know, this black woman responded in the comment saying, Hey, I agree. This book is kind of racist and this is kind of an in off statement. And there's a lot of people who have been really great white allies to me. And I think guilt never goes anywhere. And the person who posted immediately responded right afterwards with, well, I think you should read the book. And she started attacking the person back, not realizing that the person had just agreed with her. And then this person was like, don't should me and completely closed off because so many times we get up on that soapbox and we start sharing our opinion, already ready to defend it, not realizing that someone may be trying to listen and actually support us. And it completely shut this other person down. And I actually connected with them when afterwards I said, I just want to make sure you're OK, because I got you're trying to support this person. And what they did is they attacked you back. Right. And it's just so often when we get on that soapbox, we stop listening. And right now is a time where it's more about understanding than it is agreeing with people. Yes. That makes that's, sense. The, that's the one thing that I find so perplexing about parts of the very positive movements and momentum that's mm -hmm. happening is the hyper rigidity that you can have on all sides, on both sides of yeah. the political spectrum. And I've certainly mm -hmm. been in rooms and conversations where 
uh, even somebody who what they're saying is like super liberal and progressive, but they say it in a very rigid way that unless yeah. you believe and do exactly this, as I say, you're wrong. And in my experience, that has never built a bridge. It just never kind of creates this fragility, talk about fragility, fragility, rigidity, yeah. Um, yeah. an impenetrable barrier where you, there's no pleasing. And so people stop wanting to try. And I've been on, I've been on the receiving end of that and found it quite frustrating. Like here I am, I'm knocking at your door. I want to try, I want to do better and, and feeling very shut out. And in fact, today, just today, I saw in the, in the newspaper that 150 plus academics and artists have gotten together to, to write a letter yeah. about this phenomenon saying we need to still be able to have an open dialogue even as we fight for change. Yeah, 100% in making it safe. You know, I used early on in my career, I used to work at the Center for the Prevention of Hate Violence, which no longer exists. It was part of the University of Southern Maine. And we'd go out and we'd run community race dialogues and facilitate anti-bullying and harassment workshops in schools. And I remember a coworker of mine and, and she's black growing up in Maine. And there's not a whole lot of diversity in the state of Maine. And the Southern part there is. And the reason why the organization even existed, because there's been a huge influx of refugees from Sudan, from Somalia into this like all white Maine and a lot of the problems that came out with that just people not understanding and so much of what we did and what we were trained to do was how do you make it safe for people to ask the questions to say the things to make mistakes and then be able to speak up when someone's like hey you know what it doesn't feel good when you say that or here's how this here's how I hear this word or here's what this symbol means to me and if if we make people wrong right that's when people take a side Opposed to if we take time to listen, to be curious, to understand what's going on for that other person and what their experience is, right? people want to be seen for who they are and their contribution, not for our stereotype of them. And that works on both sides of the line. And one, we need to remove the line in the first place so that we can actually understand the other side anyway. So then, okay, because I'm with you 100%. And then where I get confused, and, and I understand yeah. where certain parts of these movements will say, no, we absolutely have to draw a line, not drawing a line hasn't worked. Silence is violence, you must speak up and you must do this now and you must do it in this way or else it's not enough. And there is a part of me that I get it. I really do get those sentiments as well, that this mm -hmm. laissez faire, say whatever you want, you know, <laughs> like, um, yeah. it's all, it's all good, love and light. There's a lot of anger that that's not enough. And, and there's mm -hmm. this call for people and companies, as we've seen so many companies to be yeah. more specific, more, more direct, more vocal. And so how do we reconcile those two things? And I do think a lot of what's happening in 2020 is also rolls up to being able to hold a paradox, you know, like we need to yeah. be open and understanding and bold and direct. But what would you say about yeah. how to reconcile? Because there are valid points to be made about, well, no, you, no, you need to be more firm. You need to be more vocal and the very directive kind of parts of the movement. Well, in, in, I think you, I think you kind of hit it there. It's like, we gotta, we gotta look at why are people saying that? Like, why are people saying it's like, yes, cause you've, you've changed your profile picture for every different group or every different problem that became in the news. And I want to see action. Right. And I think that's that element of like, when we go, no, I need to be firm on this is I don't trust you're going to change. And three months from now, there's going to be another fad and you're not going to be listening. And I think that that's why that comes up so much. And this whole one that silence and violence is, I think 
it's, we all want a catchphrase. We all want a motto, right? But the problem is when we get stuck on that motto, we forget what the message is behind it, right? Silence actually isn't violence. Not speaking up doesn't mean you're being violent to somebody else. What they're saying is, okay, you're being resigned and we need to all be speaking up right now because if we want to see a shift in this, if we want to see a change in behavior, well, we can't be quiet about it right now. Right. But silence isn't violence. And if we keep on putting that up because it's a great Instagram post or a great LinkedIn post or wherever, um, it perpetuates a belief that, well, oh, wait, so what am I supposed to be saying right now? And I'm scared to speak up and I'm not sure what to say. And right. And then that element of like, hey, why are people saying that? Because they don't want people to just say something and then this to be the next fad. And then six months later, two months later, we see another death. That didn't need to happen, or we see that the policies that are going on in the government didn't change, right? And so to actually see people put their money where their mouth is, or put people into positions where there's greater, uh, and I'm, and even now I'm like, oh wait, is it equity or equality? I'm not quite sure which which word am I supposed to use right now, but I think either way, right now is getting down to why are we even having this dialogue, and what am I going to be doing on the ground uh, one year from now? to know that we made progress on this opposed to what am I going to do right now? That's going to look good. That's going to be good marketing for our company around this subject. Absolutely. I love the way you've put that. And, and it, you know, it's interesting because statements like that, they are powerful. They do create debate Mm -hmm. and dialogue and they can be important for that reason alone. Like, okay, Mm -hmm. yes, this is, we're putting it in terms that are very stark, but wake up wake the F up, you know? And I think that's a a big part of what's happening. It's kind of like this element of like people taking a literal translation from something they read out of the Bible, out of the Quran or something like that. It's like, well, this was just kind of a line. And now let's reflect on what that means, right? Let's think about why are people saying this right now, opposed to this is fact, right? And then being able to do it because when we get stuck on trying this literal translation of something, we often miss the meaning behind the statement or the analogy behind it or the purpose behind it, if that makes sense. Yes. It's so interesting you bring that up because one of one of the most powerful classes I took when I was at Union Theological Seminary mm-hmm. was Bible 101. But they taught uh-huh. us that there are so many ways that you can read the Bible or a sacred text. You can read it literally. You can read it allegorically. You can read it historically, what was happening in the world at that time. You can read it as liberation theology, you can look for why did they write it in this way at this time, given the history of what they were going through. You can look at it historically in the sense of how has this document unfolded over time and evolved culturally, like almost the cultural evolution of the document and how it has influenced society and and on and on. I mean, I'm just recapping from memory, but it was so interesting because then, yes, any one line can can be looked at in so many different ways and literal translation or literal uh hermeneutics i guess it would be like how you read something (laughs) is only just one way it's only just one way there's so many ways to to turn something over and i guess that's what makes our sacred text so powerful is that they are so multifaceted well and i think i think there's you know, I got like chills when you were saying that, because it's just that reminder of like, whatever we're focused on is what we're going to see. 
right? So if we're looking at what's the literal translation of this or what is, what's the possible meaning given that time right now and, and how much that applies everywhere else is, hey, what are we, are we looking at what's going through society? What frame of reference am I taking right now doing this? You know, when I was working in conflict resolution work and we'd run an activity on perspective and it's a silly little activity that I'd have people sit around in a circle on the floor around me and I would say, draw me from where you are. Right. And so everyone would draw me from their perspective. And of course, and then you'd see all the different perspectives come up and then said, what are you seeing right now? So from where we are, from whatever we're choosing, whatever lens we're choosing to look through right now, I'm seeing what I'm seeing. And what we're seeing gives us so much insight about what's going on for us right now. If I'm seeing anger in the world right now, like what space am I coming from? If I'm seeing love in the world right now, what space am I coming from? Right. There's a facilitation book called the Zen of groups. And I remember, I think this is where this was. It was an activity of, you know, what are you listening for today? And whatever we listen for is what we tend to hear. And are we listening for the gold in others? Like what's the huge contribution in what this person is doing right now? Or this person's angry uh, they seem to be angry right now, but if I listen to their contribution, I may hear something different. So this person's yelling about, you know, being stuck at home and everything like that. And it's like, okay, if I listen for the gold in what they're sharing or their contribution, instead of hearing their complaints, I shift to actually hearing, wow, you know what? You're at home. You're really struggling. You're taking care of your kids. You haven't been able to go out. You have a lot of uncertainty about the future and you're still showing up and coming to work each day. And so when we listen from a certain intention or review a text or certain intention, something new shows up because we're looking from a different perspective or angle. That's such an important, such an important reminder. And I'm sure you've read nonviolent communication. It also reminds me of a book called Hold Me Tight about intimate relationships. And in both cases, so nonviolent communication is about what are the values that the person cares about? And often two people who seem like they're in intense disagreement actually can connect around our shared human values that underlie whatever it is the disagreement stems from. And then the book, Hold Me Tight, also recommended by Dory. Um, It's so good because it's like when you and your partner are fighting, you're in the dance of fighting, basically. One person needs to step outside of it and see, oh, my partner just needs a hug. Oh, they -hmm. just need reassurance right now. Like whatever it is that's being said, it may have just nothing to do with anything. It's actually a not so subtle cry for, I just need you to see me, love me, appreciate me. And that goes us all that takes us all the way back to your work, which is all around going beyond thank you. And how do we actually appreciate each other? Well, and how do we do it? I mean, this is the the pivot I made, you know, to use the word pivot at some point in this podcast, right? I have to. Um, Way to go. I also uh, like that you said pivoting <laughs> and coronavating in a pandemic. So we'll come back to that. Oh my God, exactly. that's hilarious. Like so yeah, yeah, good product corona, placement. You know, Way to go on pivot. Innovate. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So no, is, is, is I, the reason why I shifted from, from conflict resolution to employee recognition was largely just because how much I watched this toxic work relationship transform through a recognition exercise. It was like when nothing else worked with these conflict resolution partners I was working with, it was a 15 minute recognition activity. And when I started digging into why did this work and I started looking at, and I started looking at when people don't feel recognized, what happens. And the, the one thing that came to it is like at the heart of all of our conflict, right, is the real or perceived experience of being valued by the other. 
right? If I feel my partner values me, if I feel my coworkers value me, if I feel like my boss values me or doesn't value me, it impacts how I see and interact with them. And when we feel valued, we relate to feedback as a contribution, right? If you think about it, when you feel valued by somebody and they give you feedback, you may not like it, but you're like, okay, I'm going to listen to this pisses me off, but I'm going to listen to it. Right. And you're thinking about day, but then when you don't feel valued from somebody, the same message occurs as criticism or an attack. And so, you know, based on whether we have that experience to feel valued or not, right. Dictates how we communicate and how we receive communication from somebody else. And so everything that I've been doing is really about how do we create environments where people feel valued every day and knowing that we just can't create it once, you know, like when we say I do at the wedding, it doesn't mean that all the work's done in the relationship, sadly, right? Is that we have to keep on building and keep on having those conversations, keep on challenging, keep on listening, um, to keep on, keep those lines of communication open and ensure that other person has that experience that we value them. The wedding analogy is a great one. And it's so interesting. It's so interesting how your work parallels so much of the DEI movement that's happening in that DEI yeah. is not a one time thing. You don't check the diversity box no. and say, oh, we're diverse. But are you, are you genuinely yeah. including people? And in your case, are you genuinely appreciating and valuing them and creating connected teams, even when we're all working yeah. remotely or so many of us again, yeah. not everybody? Uh, I just love how you're saying, yeah, it doesn't stop at I do. That's the least of it. That's, <laughs> that was, I mean, that was just, the easy part. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's really so. Speaking of coronavating, I like the portmanteau of uh, coronavirus and innovating in a pandemic. As I said in the intro, and you had told me, you wrote and published this latest book, seventy-five plus team building activities for remote teams, in two months. What the heck? How did you do that? How did oh, you find the motivation I, um, to do that? You even have a four-year-old at home. It was painful. I mean, it was, uh, it's a short book, but it, it, I have to admit writing is definitely not the thing that comes easy to me. And, and I don't know if there's anybody that really, it does come easy to, but I think it was just me looking and it was funny. I think I was, I saw it was, is it Catherine Hayden? I think it was also in one of the, one of the courses I did with you a while ago. And we were chatting and she had been accepted to South by Southwest. It was talking about going there. And then literally right after I got the, off the phone with her, I saw, I think a BBC update that South by Southwest had been canceled or postponed. And when I saw that, I was like, this is the start. They're all going to start getting canceled. And I had something coming up in April that I was supposed to be at in Kansas and another one in, in May. And I'm just like, everything's going to get canceled. And we're going to be in this for a while looking at how this is unfolding. And so I thought, okay, what can I do to be a contribution right now? And, and like I said before, everything I do is about how do we create these environments where people feel valued and what do people need right now? And I've been working remotely for 10 years. And like I said, I, I have a lot of activities. So I thought, okay, let's put some resources together. And I created this quick kind of 15 activity guide. And I got like a hundred downloads in like the first couple of days it was up. And I was like, you know what, let's see if I can create something more. And I just, one day I put a timer on for two hours and I just opened up an Excel spreadsheet. And I just wrote, how many activities can I come up with right now? And I just listed all the different activities that I used in my in-person workshops that I've been using with organizations in my, in my work around recognition for years. And then I just started to write a list. I think I got up to like 95 and I called a, 
a friend who's in improv, I'm like, hey, what games would you add to this? Or what activities or questions would you add to this? And so I just started listing it all down. And I got up to, I got up to about 101. And then I realized it's like, yeah, some of these aren't really worth the time. And so I cut it down to 75. And I had a meeting with Dory Clark coming up and I used that as kind of the pressure to be able to have something. So even though she didn't know I had this deadline in my mind, I created the deadline. So I was like, okay, I need to have a draft ready by the time I meet with Dory in two weeks. And so I got that initial draft done and, you know, checked in with Dory. Hey, what do you think about doing this? Do you think this is a good move right now? And she's like, if you can get it done in a couple of weeks, go for it. And, you know, I just went on and I'd never published something on Amazon before, but, you know, I got it all formatted and all the stuff together and then got it out. And, you know, yeah, it was about probably 60 days, a little more than that start to finish with all the formatting. But, you know, bird the book in a short period of time and got out in the world to try to be able to be a resource for people right now. I'm so impressed. And it is amazing. Like if I want to say if you lead a team, but no, if you're a part of a team of any kind, these ideas are so good. I mean, we don't even have time to get into many of them. But let me give you a few title highlights. The M&M game, my world, your world, local tour, pulse check, like why asking how are you doing today? It's a really silly way to start a meeting or to actually get a valid check-in from people and instead giving having them give a number on how supported they feel. I yeah. mean, these are so good. They're so fun. They really bring delight into, because I, I feel major yeah. screen fatigue and I did a podcast, as I'm sure you probably saw on, on screen fatigue. And then I did one on digital introverts and I feel it's been really challenging the number of Zoom and the number of video calls specifically. And if we if more of us had your book and actually implemented these, I think it would add a little more delight back into the sum total of all these virtual meetings. And just bringing play and variety, right? Like yes. even in relationships, you know, whether it's in a personal relationships, it's just having variety and not doing the same thing every single time and making all these interactions a little less awkward, and a little more meaningful. And, and thinking about, you know, how do we curate our culture online, right? The same way we do when we're in person, it's like, Hey, you know what? We need to do something fun today. Or, you know what? We need to sit back, step back and check in. And, and the aim of putting the book together was to not just give games. Right. Because it doesn't work to just play all the time either. But it's also having things like, what can I do to check in? You know, what can I do to get to know people better? You know, we have new employees on our teams. How are we going to do that? How can we laugh and play? How can we keep on learning together? And, you know, you know, in the work that you do, Jenny, too, it's like with the with the curriculum and the and the and the coaching work and everything like that is helping organizations remember that we can't stop that employee development side of things, that career development side of things, just because we're remote. Because you know what, this storm's not going to pass anytime soon, and we cannot wait, keep on waiting for it to pass. To when we get back to the office, we'll get back to that career development work, and instead start to do it now, when we actually all that time that was you know, for commuting before and everything before that time, I don't want to say it's freed up, but we have less need for transition time necessarily to get from one place to another where we can schedule that time to have those one-on-ones with people to sit down and have that face-to-face conversation. And then also schedule that time to recreate that water cooler moment or that time in the hall where we were joking that actually were the things that bolstered our relationships so that when we had to get down to having the difficult conversations about the work, we had those relationships there and they were maintained so we could have those and could have them effectively. Speaking of career development, I also think some of the big themes of the year are reckoning and reflection. So what I know yeah. that a lot of companies have 
canceled pivot events or put them on hold. Oh, you know, we mm -hmm. don't, it's not the time to think about career development, but, but I think we need to think about it from a different perspective. And this is not just my self-interest speaking <laughs> to yeah. actually work again, but that actually people are already pausing and, and asking themselves in this reckoning of, am I happy in my role? Am I happy with how I was working? What would I do differently moving forward? These questions are already happening for people. So it is yeah. important to address the career elephant in the room, which is yeah. you might feel like everything's up in the air right now. Or as I just drafted a newsletter, pivotless newsletter, I said, is anyone else feeling a total lack of motivation right now? Or is it just me? Oh my God. You know? <laughs> well, and we need to, and people need that right now. If you think about it, like one of the things that triggers that whole parasympathetic nervous system and the rest and recover that we need now more than ever, right? Is hope is hope that we're moving forward, right? Is people need to feel it. I've watched it with my wife. I've watched it with the friends like, man, I was just about to get this promotion. I was just about to apply for this job or I was a finalist here and now everything's on hold, right? That sense of hopelessness and uncertainty right now, the one thing that we can do is work on developing people and having the conversations of, hey, what do you want to be doing in the future? Right? This is the perfect time to have those conversations. And I think it's more important now than it probably ever has been before because there is so much uncertainty. Right. And and I think that for managers, this is the time to have those one-on-ones that you said you didn't have time for for the last, you know, six years or those performance reviews to be able to sit down and just say, hey, you know, given everything that's going on, one, how are you feeling? And two, how are you feeling prior to all this? And when we, you know, moving forward, how can I support you to keep on growing and having those conversations that show people that you're not just supporting them right now, but you're going to support them uh, into the future. And one of the things that too, as you were saying this is leaders can be putting their people in contact with other people in their network right now. Hey, maybe they can't go and do it, but they can have a one-on-one -on -one or a informational interview with other people in other parts of the organization right now that before may have not been free. But the one thing that I don't know if you found this is people are saying yes to things that they wouldn't normally have time to say yes to because they are at home, because they are free, because it is low commitment to just hop onto a call with someone you just met on LinkedIn to have a chat because their profile looks interesting. Definitely. Yes, I've gotten, in fact, I probably didn't try to get as enough, enough uh, yeses or nos for the podcast as I could have given that that's been the case. <laughs> I know we're, we're short on time, which is too bad. We'll have to do yeah. another round. Um, tell Would us, speaking of your business name beyond thank you, tell us yeah. why compliments, the difference between compliments and true appreciation. Just give us the 60 second. And by the way, just to, before we go there, I like your one sixth rule for meetings that for every 60 minutes, yeah. 10 minutes should be devoted to relationship building. So for those that one sixth of your meeting, check out Chris's book, but Chris, can you tell yeah. us the difference between compliments? Like you're amazing and true appreciation. Well, I think, I think one is maybe part of a formality, but the intention of all of them is that we're signaling to people and showing people that we value them. Right. And, and not to go into it because it's really long, but I, I try, I'm trying one of my goals in my missions is to kind of update how people think about recognition by kind of separating. Because most people, when they think of recognition, they collapse reward and award with it, right? Where rewards and awards aren't recognition in of themselves, but a delivery tool for a message. And so I break it down to what are the different actions that signal the people that we value them? And there's appreciating the person, acknowledging the circumstances, recognizing the effort and the progress 
and then rewarding results and awarding standout results and appreciating the person are those little things that we do every day. And sometimes it's words, sometimes it's in actions to signal the people that we appreciate the person, we appreciate their contributions. And most importantly, we appreciate what they sacrifice every day to do the work that they do. Right. And we do that by, you know, not only sharing with people, Hey, I appreciate what you're doing right now, but also showing them in our behaviors by, you know, not sending messages at, you know, four o'clock in the morning because we get off our to-do list, but now they wake up and they're thinking about it at night. But, you know, being in, you know, for all those working parents out there, it's, you know, adapting. So, Hey, you know what? I'm not going to call you after five because I know you and your spouse have shifts and you're not available then. So it's all those things that we do to signal people that we understand and we appreciate that they have a life outside of work. And then we appreciate the nuances of what they're dealing with every day and taking time to check in and show them that we care for them more than just what we need from them. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Beautiful. Wow. You're good. That's like, you've, you've just wrapped up so much of your body of work in 60 seconds. <laughs> I love it. Way to go. Thank That's you. how you know a true it. pro. It's fun to have. It's fun to have. I mean, I like to have diversity on the podcast too, but it's fun to have professional speakers because like, wow, how did you do that? You just tied the most beautiful bow. <laughs> It's oh one gosh. of those things where we, we speak and we talk about this subject all the time that, you know, you know, it's, and, and I think that's the beauty is when you get to talk to people that are, are passionate about what they're doing, right? It's talking about you and your work and everybody you bring on the podcast. It's, you know, it's, I think one of the gifts we can give is, is giving other people an opportunity to share what they're passionate about. Right. Yes. And I think that's what you do in the podcast is every time you invite somebody in, it's a, a glimpse into their world, a chance to be able to connect with the amazing Jenny Blake and also to be able to share that thing that they really love and they're passionate about in the world. Yeah. And I only people wonder, I have no logic to how I book guests. It's only goes on my own passion you know, for the person or their work. <laughs> so Chris, I want to take one of your exercises and I never, I don't have, I love podcasts that have a standard set of rapid fire at the end. I typically don't, yeah. but I want to take your COVID-19 questions. If you'll play this game with me, you've okay. inspired yeah, me. Please, your camp counselor please. vibe has inspired okay. me. Okay. Um, let's try, try to give me the, the quickest answers that you can. And I'm going to go through your okay. list of COVID-19 questions. Okay, okay. Perfect. What did you used to take for granted, but really appreciate now? <laughs> but leaving the building and going for a walk around the block. What is the silver lining in all of this for you? Uh, I'm on the pivot podcast with Jenny Blake because I wrote a book <laughs> during this time that I never would have probably ever yes. gotten together in this time. And I think the other one I have to say there too, is having this kind of time with my wife and my daughter, as much as it drives me crazy some days, when you remove all the logistics and the commuting every day, life gets a heck of a lot less stressful and it's nice to connect with them in the house, have lunch together every day. And that's a silver lining this as well. Yeah. And not leaving, I, I didn't say, but it's so tough to not leave for two months, especially given how much you and your wife travel. Um, yeah. Wh what has been the most challenging part of having to work remotely? Um. I think it's not getting that time on a plane where I was by myself, right? Is not having any time solo or before I worked from home by myself, I was in the house all day by myself. Now I'm never by myself. And as much as I'm a speaker and I may appear as an extrovert, I'm so much more an introvert that, you know, having time by myself, having quiet time, that used to be my time in the airport, uh, in the plane, in the hotel before a speaking engagement. That's when I got to recharge that, hey, I need time by myself. 
And I think that's the part that's been missing most for me and still not being able to get out of the building means, you know, I joke with my daughter that we're on a spaceship right now and she's the captain, so she can't leave. And so we've been on this, uh, spaceship for three months now. And I, I could, as much as I always wanted to be an astronaut as a kid, there's no way I could do that. Hmm. I can relate to that travel recharging time so much, like every element of it yeah. that you said, I miss so much too. Like even waiting for the flight, being on the flight, yeah. being in the hotel, like there were so many moments of just total built in solitude to my work that yeah. doesn't exist now, <laughs> even though, no, you know, of exactly. course, travel takes its toll too, but yeah, it does. I, but that, it also it also play, it played it played that role of variety in our lives as well, and the variety yeah. of people, our locations of, you know, getting out of New York City. I'm sure for you for a little bit, and even if it was a couple of days away, that that movement, that excitement of going someplace, as exhausting as it was, it also played a role in kind of rejuvenating, at least for me. Anyway. Yes, and all sides, because I used to joke that I would go on a trip and I might be having a more hectic time or going from one thing to the next and come back kind of tired. Meanwhile, Michael had had 10 million breakthroughs while I was gone. Like we used to joke that it's actually great when I leave because he has five days to just totally immerse into yeah. his zone as well of deep thought and reflection with no interruptions, no matter how much we love each other. It's yeah. we both value being in flow and inherently yeah. when there's other people around, they just want to knock on the door, even if it's to come give, give a hug or something, yeah. it still <laughs> does break up the day in a very different way. Yeah. Exactly. So and right of, as you said, knock on the door. Literally, my wife just knocked on the door. Oh, really? as did. oh are you on the oh, <laughs> We're almost done. We have just two of Chris's yeah. questions left. Two of Chris's COVID-19 questions. Chris, what is your daily routine? <laughs> in oh, my daily routine is yeah. <laughs> in 30 seconds. In 30 seconds, it's wake up in the morning, go do a workout with my wife in the morning when we're both not on calls in the morning. Uh, well, our daughter eats breakfast. And then I take my daughter for school from literally in the house from 9 a.m. until 2, make lunch. And normally, uh, when my wife's not in a conference right now, um, I then work from 2 to 7, and then bedtime, bath time, and then repeat, 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 <laughs> repeat over and over again. Way to go so on the, homeschooling, working, uh, wow, and getting a, a workout okay. in. You're on fire. Hey, getting a work, hey, you know, that, that's been that's a that big deal. self-care side of things. If that's not happening, uh, the day's not going well. I have to say... I pandemic purchased a Peloton bike. I never thought of myself as a spin person. I wasn't part of the whole clan that was like obsessed with spin yep. class. I only just wish I did it and? sooner. I wish I did it sooner. I'm now on a 25 day streak. I used to do yoga and Pilates, but no intense cardio. Yep. And by the way, listeners, yep. if we're thinking of I'm like this flush with cash, they have 0% financing for three years. So I'm ending <laughs> up paying about $100 a month for the, you subscribe to their classes and the bike itself. And that's amazing. Oh my gosh, like just the ability to get a burst of intense cardio, which again is not my inclination if left to my own devices, nope. but it's, oh, hey, there's a device pun. Um, but yeah. <laughs> it's, it has been great. I, I really only just wish I got it sooner. And I have the mirror. I, I'm like, I've now equipped, maybe that's my silver lining is I've equipped. I work in an office with a bunk bed above me that's actually the guest room with a podcast closet that's now the Peloton closet. Like what I've been able that's to do hilarious. with this one room that I call my own. <laughs> it's really funny. Oh my God. 
Yeah. So my, I'll put a Peloton friend. affiliate link in the, in the show notes it, in case any of you want, I think it gives there you go. purchasers a credit as well. There yeah. you go. My, my friend, Kevin, who like, he literally told me they moved up because they were living in DC with two kids in a two bedroom apartment and they were going crazy. So they moved with his wife's in-laws up in, in Long Island. And the one time they left the in-laws house was to drive back down to DC to pick up the Peloton bike, to bring it up with them because they were going crazy when they weren't getting their exercise. So another plug where he's like, it's, it's the only thing that's keeping me sane right now. So I need this. And so yeah. they literally drove, I don't know what, eight hours down and back to be able to just pick up the bike. Cause they needed it. It's, so, it's helpful. Know, I'm yeah. slowly getting sold on it myself. It just gets her done. And in a way with good music. Yeah. And again, I still don't consider myself some kind of like a spin diehard person, but yeah, I need it. I need it for my mental health. And it does help me kind of clear the decks when I'm losing my mind. Yeah. My dad has a saying, pay for the day that, and you do that. You yeah. and your wife pay for the day by getting the because my dad would say that the adrenaline can turn sour in your body if you don't work it out. And there was a, a while of the pandemic where I just wasn't getting any workouts in, just too tired. So and you just go insane. I just find that I'm, I'm yes. on edge and I'm, you know, I'm know. in this, like, I just say that it's like that, that early on motivation when I got the book done was kind of that, like, I'm inspired. I'm going to use this time for something positive. And like, as that motivation goes down that like the, if I was to have like a, a chart here, it's like level of energy goes down, level of pissiness goes up and it's Absolutely. like, snapping, like need to have a day away from you too. I love you, but I need to like go downstairs, lock myself in a room that you can't interrupt with. So, you know, or like, or go sit in the car for a while. Right. Well, and then, own, and then the bike sandwich. or the gym, yeah, the bike or the gym becomes that little pocket of time. That's, that's your own. That's free time. So that, yeah. that brings us to our last question. What have you been doing to take care of yourself, even to rest and recharge during this time? Oh man, it's been a mix, but I, I think a lot of it has just been, I've been having a lot of calls with friends and, the, and another silver lining of this would be the fact that, you know, I have my two best friends from college, you know, we're on WhatsApp together and there's just chats and laughing and play going on. And we've even done like the Netflix parties together, but just having that connection that for some reason never happened before at the same frequency. And now it's happening daily. And I think that that connecting, that laughing with friends that, you know, having, I have a call on Saturday morning with my, my buddy Nihar and we just chat about work and with family and being home with young kids. And I think that kind of connection is that perspective outside of the house that you're in, because I can chat with my wife, I can chat with my daughter, but the truth is sometimes you need to talk to people that are outside of your world. And I think that for me has been the best self-care to be able to just laugh and laugh about the craziness of some of the stuff we're doing and dealing with, you know, inside this whole mess. Yes. Please tell Nihar I say hi, because I loved meeting I him at RexCon. He stands out among I everyone I met, you and him both. Phenomenal. And, and funny, I joked with Dory uh, that she's been my pandemic sandwich. Like she was the last person I saw before everything went on lockdown. She Going to see her downtown was the last subway ride I took in it was on March 6th. And then my first subway ride that I took has been on July 6th-ish. So exactly four months was to go see her and Petra for dinner in Battery Park That's City. Amazing. And we just felt like humans again. We could eat yeah. outside. It was so necessary. Just total oxygen for the soul to just go do that. So. 
Well, a moment of normality. And, and I think that, like you said, and I'm, I'm glad because I wanted to ask you all the questions back. And I think you're answering them each at the same time, which I appreciate. You know, it's a, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, well, no, and I wanted to because you were asking me. I was like, wait, can I ask you too? Yeah, um, you can. And the yeah, truth of course. Is, I, I think that time of just just playing to the sanity of this and being able to give each other time to be able to laugh, we, we need that more than ever. And finding normality in this and routine in this, I think, is the only thing that keeps us sane. Right? Yes. I don't know about you, but I'm like, I got outside the other day and I walked out and I was like, ah. I'm like trying to explain what I'm like, you're not going to have to wear a mask the rest of your life. This is just for now. This will pass eventually, but we're probably going to be doing this for a while. So my niece is yeah. four and a half and she calls it the sickness. It's crazy how <laughs> it's shaping kids. Yeah. And how little kids and the bugs. Um, the one thing I'll say, the one thing to add to these COVID-19 questions, silver lining. Yeah. One big aha and silver lining that I have experienced during this time is that a worse worst case scenario has occurred in my business, let's say revenue wise, than I could have ever thought to worry about. I would have never worried. Yeah. I would worry that if I had lean months or I was in the red yeah. or needed to pivot and didn't know what was next. Okay. But I would have never thought to worry that a global pandemic would hit. All my jobs would get canceled at the same time and budgets cut. And then yeah. into the future, they would be not getting booked. <laughs> okay. So I cannot believe, and I will say the month of March was a disaster. I mean, I was up and down all yeah. over the place, a lot of stress. Yeah. But now, four months in, realizing, oh, there's a lot to appreciate in the extra time. I, too, am working on a agile book that's based on transcripts uh -huh. from the podcast. I need to pull inspiration from you to get it done. That's awesome. Um, that's but awesome. it's like the worst case happened. And I'm still here. You and I are still able to chat and have a fun, great conversation and be lighthearted amidst all the insanity. And I can't believe it. I feel like moving forward in business, there's so little that I will be afraid of <laughs> after, after I mean, going and, through and something like this. To not take like yourself this. so seriously. Yes. And it's just like, you know, and the thing is, or anyone client on so time. seriously, like, haha, remember yeah. that time we lost all our clients at the same time? It's going to be okay. Hopefully, and <laughs> she says, "Well, not to kind of Well, and that that whole industry disappeared, right? The speaking industry right now in its standard form. You know, I saw something from the conference board the other day. It was like, "Would you feel comfortable going to a conference in New York City at the end of 2020?" Seven percent of people said yes, right? Like, would you feel comfortable? And it's like, wow. In the sad reality, and I and I saw that. And I was like. Ooh. You know, it's like I had just moved all my business to mostly speaking, right? Because I realized I was like, you know what? I enjoy doing this more. You know, I enjoy doing this more than the coaching work that I was doing in the past. And even though I like certain coaching clients, I don't necessarily want this to be a bulk of my work. So I made that pivot. But then it's like, hey, you know what? Now I'm being asked to do it again. And I think same. It's, it's had me relook. I'm like, all of my money was coming from one source of work. What other channels do I need to have? Right. What are my other ways to be able to be a contribution to contribute to people virtually? And the thing that's been so cool about this, Jenny, is that for me, living in Santiago, Chile has always been a burden because I have to travel 24 hours or 48 hours to a speaking event and then come back. And now this has been kind of like a I don't say neutralized. What's that like? It's kind of leveled the playing field for me and everybody else. Because I don't have, it's people don't relate to me as further away than anybody else because everyone's doing things virtually right now, which I think has also been a silver lining for me that I wouldn't have probably thought of until you just shared that. But I'm like, well, 
I'm talking to Jenny Blake in New York right now, and it's no different than if I was, you know, across town. And that's, that's pretty such amazing a good one. to do that. Yeah, that's you such know? a good one. And that this happened to shift into an arena that you're incredibly talented at. So way to go. Thank you for providing these questions. <laughs> Thank you. And Chris, Thank this you. has been so delightful. I just, it's we hit it off completely within the first five minutes of meeting at Dory's event. And this is no different. Exactly. Thank you so much. Listeners, I encourage you to check out Chris's book, 75 Plus Team Building Activities for Remote Teams, Simple Ways to Build Trust, Strengthen Communication, and Laugh Together from Afar, which we are doing right now. Chris, where else can people find you online and keep in touch? You can find me at beyondthankyou.com. If you're just in the book, beyondthankyou.com backslash book. And there's also, a I, I put it together, this team relationship building self-assessment to be able to kind of ask these 10 questions of where are we at right now with creating that psychological, that emotional safety on our team? And are we having fun and playing together? And then it gives you recommendations based on your score of what to try or start within the book based on whether you need to keep it up, step it up, start it up. And you can find that on the book page as well at beyondthankyou.com backslash book. Yeah, I love Chris also has a newsletter called The Nudge, free tips, tools and reminders to take better care of yourself and your people. Yes. Every two awesome. weeks comes out on Wednesday and it, it always has a download or a video or an action because, you know, a couple of weeks ago you had Billy. Is it Billy? Was it Anderson? Yes. Was Billy that Anderson. Name? Yep. You know, I was listening to that the other day and, you know, he worked in Outward Bound and everything like that. He was talking about being up on that stage and I'm just about to try this something fun and the nerves come up. Are they going to like it? Are they not going to like it? And what I've realized is that in all this work that we're doing is it's so many times people want to take an action, but they're just uncomfortable because they're not sure how people are going to react. And I think the whole aim and the whole aim of that newsletter in this book is just to give people simple things that they can act on. So they start getting some wins. So we become a little more confident to be able to take those actions because they realize people are going to be receptive of them. And I know I still get nervous every time I open up an activity, but every time I do it, people end up loving it or having fun with it. And then we build those relationships that we otherwise would just sit through the same boring meeting over and over again. That's so cool. Chris, thank you so much for being here. Jenny, it was an absolute blast. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Pivot Podcast. Make sure you don't miss an episode or my insider tips and templates by signing up for Pivot List, a curated twice monthly newsletter where I share the inside scoop on what I'm reading, watching, listening to, and the latest tools I'm geeking out on. Sign up at pivotmethod.com slash pivotlist. Get show notes from this episode at pivotmethod.com slash podcast. And connect with me on Twitter at Jenny underscore Blake. Remember, build first, then your courage will follow. Hasn't it always? 